0: Greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line, a uh, quieter speaking James White with you on the last program before Christmas 2023. I'm going to try to start off uh, <clears throat> at a volume that I will be able to maintain uh, for the entirety of the program. Uh, it seems I'm not the only one uh, dealing with the uh, respiratory stuff. Isn't it strange that uh, the world's not shutting down uh, yet? Um if this had been happening in uh, 2020 we would have been hearing about the what was it the the winter of extreme death what 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 was it biden came up with i forget what it was anyway um here we are on a friday um and um uh, not sure how long we'll go i'm gonna try to go the full hour but we'll we'll see uh, how the voice uh, lasts and uh, i i i was thinking about a number of years ago I did a program in a December with Michael Brown, and I have a cough. It's called a cough drop over here, <clears throat> and when you press the button, it, it mutes your microphone. But we had made some change or something, and I was I had horrible cough, and so I was hitting the I was hitting the cough drop, and I'd cough. And then all of a sudden, he's like, "Um, you know, if if, if you if you could if you could move away from your microphone, you." And I thought, I thought I was muting myself every time I did. I apologized all over myself. I could tell he was somewhat upset with me. Um, but it was just, I I thought I was doing it. Um, but I, but I wasn't. It's, um, just part of one of the things that happens when you, uh, sit in front of a microphone and, uh, it's December, December, January, uh, just seems to be a, a regular, regular thing. And I was at church on Sunday and I, I'm pretty sure I got exposed to something, but, um, that's, uh, though, though that didn't happen in 2020 and 2021. It's really weird, strange, makes you wonder about com and stuff like that. By the way, Rich, the, um, the rich cam mount is holding on by only one of the little round thingies on the window. So I took the camera off because that didn't, that didn't look safe. Um, if the other one goes, then it all falls down and we don't want that happening. So, uh, thought I'd let you know that <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. <clears throat> it is, um it is uh, the 22nd of December, which sadly means that starting tomorrow, the days will start getting longer. Thankfully, very slowly. Um, I know for many of you, this is a, a happy day. For those of us in Phoenix, Arizona, it is a dark day. It does happen to be a dark day today. In fact, we got a real good amount of rain this morning and we're supposed to get more through tomorrow um but yeah no we're in in, phoenicians are not big on the days getting longer thing because it's gonna come again it's it's coming back it's how it is anyway uh the 22nd of december i realize that there are a small number of you out there who um read a lot of puritans and so you're not doing anything come monday and uh, I don't know if you're just plugging your ears, going "la la 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 la" when anybody else talks about um, the the Christmas uh, celebration. Uh, I've seen, I've had a little, a few back and forth, not a whole lot this year uh, with folks on this particular subject. And um, I, you know, obviously, I have serious um, issues if if we were if if we were trying to say that uh, you must celebrate the birth of christ okay no 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 question about that you cannot bind that on someone's conscience fine but the application by the the trs the truly reforms of uh, an extended concept of regulative principle uh, so that um, there is no freedom whatsoever to, um, well, there, there's a number of issues that the, uh, the Truly Reforms raise that do the same thing. I mean, uh, if, you, if you hold to a strict form of exclusive psalmody, you can never sing the name of Jesus. Oh, but there's prophetic passages, but you can never sing the name of Jesus. The very name that in the book of Acts is the name they suffer for. Um. Yeah. Um. It is that extended application that becomes really the mark of what I call the TRs, the truly reforms. It would be nice to come up with a different term because that gets confused with the Texas Receptus, I suppose. Although there is often a connection there, <laughs> in my experience, there. A lot of the a lot of the guys that are into the uh, truly reform stuff are into the um, the textual. Uh, stuff too but um anyway um one one just it, it's such a busy time of year um I, as I was driving in today I was I I asked myself do, do you feel like 2022 20, 2023 hmm, 2023 passed any faster than 2022 did because you know as you get older it just accelerates 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 and I couldn't really honestly answer that. I felt that it had, so I wonder if you just get so old eventually, that you just can't even measure those things anymore. I didn't really feel that that it that it had, but when you when you when you're doing all the stuff that you joyfully need to be doing, um, you've got grandkids and you've got a celebration coming up and. And, uh, I, I preached last Sunday and, uh, Jeff will be preaching, um, on Sunday. We do, uh, we do things differently at Apologia uh, for Christmas. Uh, we, we get together in a park and I guess this was, I'm not sure about this. I think they did this initially because the place that they were meeting when they first started wasn't open, uh, that weekend anyways. And so they just, Hey, it's Arizona. You can do that. Uh, we may have the, the grass will be wet, but we should be okay, uh, come Sunday morning. Um, but we've just kept, just kept it going. And so we, uh, go a little shorter, uh, have a whole lot more food. Um, but we still do the service and, um, we include having the kids come down and, and, uh, Jeff goes through the, uh, story of the birth of christ and and things like that um but i preached last sunday um and if you're looking for a christmas sermon um i I preached on isaiah's testimony of the incarnation it's a some of you have heard it um i actually had to go have i ever done that for my own church because i've done it at other churches i've done it in saint charles and i did it in um uh No, it wasn't Leavenworth. It was the other one there in the Kansas City area um, the weekend before. And people really enjoy it, and they remember it. Um, What I do is I look at the uh, prophetic passages to Christ, Emmanuel passages, for example. There's more than one. It's not just Isaiah 7. There are a number of Emmanuel passages between Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 11 that very clearly were part of the uh, teaching that jesus gave to the apostles after his resurrection because they, they pop up all over the place in the new testament they're very frequently cited and so i i put the isaiah 9 passage which is my favorite advent passage um in the context of those other passages and uh, people it, it seems to stick people seem to remember it when you look at it in that way i guess um And so I did that last Sunday at Apologia. If you want to look that up on YouTube, uh, it might be of some um, use and uh, encouragement to you. But you know, when I when I think about those prophetic texts, I think about Isaiah seven, and as an apologist, yeah, you're, you're automatically thinking about all the objections and how you're going to handle the objections, and even to be honest with you. As an apologist, I am thinking about how to present the material so as to answer the objection without necessarily sidetracking everybody and getting into that particular discussion. Um, that's just something I've I've developed over the years, and it it wasn't really purposeful. It's just sort of how it is. Um, and so you you think of the Isaiah seven passage and Alma and Bethula and original terms, and Parthenos, and the Greek Septuagint, and, man, I'm, I'm really thankful that the first person, the first person who ever told me about that stuff, and I'm not sure, now that I think on it, whether I first heard it in a sermon, or in just a discussion, but my dad. Um... Emphasizing, And I'm sure he probably got it from uh, Kenneth Wiest, but that um, Luke being a physician certainly would have known what Parthenos meant in a very specific way. Uh, and this was in reference to defending the um, virgin birth, which I haven't heard a lot about it this year. But always this time of year, somebody is attacking that and mocking it and doing stuff like that. But the same thing with Isaiah 9. And... I should have grabbed it. I don't have it here, but I remember back when we were at this, um, we were at the offices on 16th Street. Uh, this is back in the uber poor days of uh, the beginning years of Alpha Noeming Ministries. Um, I remember I think we scheduled sort of a Advent study or something like that. And, and I had most of the lights off. I had some candles going and I had a few Christmas lights up and I was preparing for that um, that presentation and I was reading from well it had to have been in seminary because um, well, I'm not sure. Anyways, I was reading from Kyle and Delich's commentary on the Old Testament and I was reading what they said about Isaiah 9 and, and I, I had to smile a little bit because basically what they said I could probably pull it up I have it in accordance but um ba- basically, you know being the scholars and having the German rationalistic background uh I- I behind them, um they sort of had to just go and as as hard as it is to believe it it's it's difficult not to see um that there's much more to this text than than we frequently want to allow to be there that it that it transcends. Isaiah's limited vision'm I'm, I'm just paraphrasing but they were they were basically s- s- saying yeah it's really hard to avoid that this really is talking about um God with us something far more than than you would expect within the limited um, context of redacted edited documents which is, you know, how people, how most Old Testament studies are done these days, uh, thanks to the Germans primarily. Um, and, and just sort of chuckling because it, it truly is the reality that most people, what we believe about Christmas, what we believe about the Incarnation, did come in the vast majority of it from tradition, uh, songs, um, stories, it, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time, uh, in prophetic passages uh, contemplating Micah five and, and, uh, thou Bethlehem of Frotha, thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah yet out of you shall he come forth to me whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. And, um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's not like we we're spending the time and i, I do want to mention this I, I did see a good post uh that was useful uh that, that made a pretty decent argument that the manger idea that we have um which has been built up into a lot of stuff over there over the centuries <clears throat> is probably missing the point of what actually happens in that story because Joseph has gone to Bethlehem and that would mean he has relatives there and even if he didn't you know have their email address or you know phone number um all he'd have to say is I'm Joseph son of da 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 son of da 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 and he's going to run into relatives and in that context and in that society uh they would have been taken into a home and so what is when it says there's no place in the inn um okay but that doesn't mean there wouldn't have been a place in a home but where would you go in a home because um it is fascinating that the homes of that day um were not like what we have today obviously Um, and many of them at that time period had their, at least a limited number of animals that would be in a particular part of the home inside. Um, and there would be a manger and there would be water, um, and, and things like that. And in all probability, what really happened there is they're taken into a a relative's home that's already jam-packed, and so the only place to place them is in that part of the, the house, and they use that manger and and things like that um, for the the place of the birth. So that that I think is pretty good evidence. Uh, you know, that's looking at the background and, and the society and going, yeah, yeah, that that probably probably a good way of reading that. But um the the prophetic testimony to what takes place now i I understand how people living that time period would have struggled to differentiate the first and second comings of christ and, um, and things like that. we we're so blessed to have the entire New Testament testimony right there we have that light to guide us to see fulfillment and stuff like that. I, I, anybody who goes, Oh, I would have, (laughs) I would have figured that one out. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, right. Sure. (coughs) (coughs) There. Um, I'm not sure if that was working or not, but I pressed it. Did that work? I'll, I'll wait till uh, I'll wait till rich tells me whether that worked or not. Cause I, I don't know. Um, he told me uh, at some point or, uh, that it still did, but I'm not getting a response, so maybe it didn't. <coughs> he says, "Yes, it did." Okay, good. <coughs> then why are you not using it now? Well, I don't know. Uh, I have to reach over there and do it. Anyway, there was uh, when when we look at all these texts, some of them that we that the New Testament writers. Uh, give to us wouldn't have just leapt out and smacked us in the face. And the problem is we live in a day in a rationalistic day where the idea that this is a unified whole and that um it is of a different nature than anything else we possess is just it's not what you get in the majority of theological education today. And I'm afraid we have been deeply influenced by that as well. And so it is very easy for us to fall into really a a faithless, non-supernatural. And and part of this also is because we see people just fly off the handle doing uh, wild stuff. In fact, oh, I really need to do this. Someone sent me a video. Oh, there's a King James museum here in Phoenix. Now it moved here from Texas. And I, I went ahead and clicked on the video and I listened to the opening I don't know, it's about a nine-minute introductory video. (laughs) I need to find this place. Because, I mean, literally, literally, they were saying that they knew they needed to do this because the initials of the one guy and the initials of the other guy appear on certain pages of the 1611 King James Bible in large font and one guy, I forget what his name was, but his initials are H E. And so there's a chapter that starts H E. As in he. And I, I, it was, it was so absurd. I was really wondering if this wasn't like a Babylon B type thing, but but it's not. Um, that's the kind of stuff we 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 see that, and we're like, ooh, no, 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 I mean, it's indefensible. You can make any claim you want based upon that kind of stuff. So we we push that away. And in the process, end up taking a view of scripture that Jesus himself didn't hold. And the apostles didn't hold. And some people say, well, if you do textual criticism, you're doing the same thing. As if um, there was some uh, inspired text that you're supposed to just grab hold of so you don't have to do that hard work of examining manuscripts and things things like that, which, of course, I reject as well. So anyway, uh, if we look at the Bible and see it the way that Jesus did, then we see the threads that are woven together that form the, the very fabric of the, fulfill, the fulfillments that, that take place. In... I was going to say the most amazing event in the history of the world. I I just don't think you can separate out any aspect of Jesus' life and ministry and say, that's the most amazing thing, or that's the most amazing thing, because God entering into time, entering into his own creation, astonishing. Giving... His life, okay, let's not even skip that fast, walking the dusty streets of Galilee, um, enduring the mockery of his enemies, the constant um, testing and trying to trip him up, and walking amongst lepers. And these are all amazing things. And then his self-giving... His burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement. Um, you can't separate any of it out. You can't say that's more important than anything else. <clears throat> and so, but you, you still need to realize that what we are asking, what we are being asked to believe, and what we're asking other people to believe is astonishing. It truly, truly is astonishing. And there's nothing else like it. All this zeitgeist movie idiocy and everything else that th- th- runs around out there saying, oh, there's parallels to everything. It's just a bunch of baloney. It really is. Um, it, it's it's sad. But um, there's nothing else like it. The one creator god of the entire universe enters into his own creation here. Um... It takes the work of the Spirit to believe that. It really does. It, uh, it takes the work of the Spirit to believe that. Um, I want to, in uh, the time we have today, after that brief uh, Advent thought, I have been thinking about one of the most um, interesting texts of the Bible that so many professed believers do not want to believe or accept. I have been seeing a lot of uh, people who really suffer from a, a a form of derangement. And I understand it. it, it they're not alone in fact there are many people who who are with them and say so they have company in their derangement but people who will believe amazing things from scripture in other areas but in this one area refuse to refuse to allow the scriptures to be the scriptures and i remember many many decades ago now coming to recognize and realize that outside of the work of the spirit of god breaking a person's heart and breaking their commitment to self-autonomy um that that has to be done by the spirit you you can present the truth but spirit has to make the change and so i'm referring to that incredible passage and it is it's interesting it does sort of tie into something i just said about Christmas stuff Daniel chapter 4 now Daniel is a book that is disrespected in a great deal of Old Testament scholarship despite Jesus's high view of it and his utilization of it it is uh, it is disrespected for the very same reason that so much of modern- day scholarship, will question the uh, genuine nature of the pastoral epistles, for example. So much of modern scholarship doesn't believe Paul wrote for St. Timothy and Titus. And when you ask why that is, the answer is that um, it reflects in their theoretical opinion a later uh, form of the church that could not have could not have existed from the beginning. Because, as we all know, <laughs> gotta be careful about that line. <sighs> as we all know, um the, the the form of the church evolved over time. There was no it's not that there's a divine plan for the church that the apostles agreed upon and instituted in the churches that they found, no, 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 no. This, is, this has to be all organic and evolutionary and stuff like that. And so what what you see, see, I'm talking too loud again. Uh, what you see in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus is, is a later period, and so it couldn't have been written by Paul. And besides that, Paul uses different, different terminology there. Of course, he's writing personal letters, and we all use different terminology in writing personal letters to people. But um, maybe a better example would be the <clears throat> would be the um, assertion on the part of the, again, large majority of what's called Old Testament scholarship that Isaiah's prophecy ends with chapter 39 and beginning in chapter 40 you have Deutero-Isaiah and what's the primary reason for that? Prophecy um, just as Daniel has prophecy concerning future uh events that can be clearly tied to Greece and Rome and things like that. Um, Isaiah names Cyrus by name. So clearly had to have been written after Cyrus because there can't be any such thing as prophecy. Not like anybody in Babylon, I don't have a clue about what the Jews were talking about in Israel if the word Cyrus appeared in their scriptures. So, but the naturalistic bias of scholarship says, well, that, that obviously has to come later. <laughs> and Daniel, hence, can only be, you know, maybe a hundred years before Christ or something like that. And one of the other reasons that Daniel is disrespected would be this text. Daniel chapter four contains the story Of the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, if you approach this from a naturalistic perspective, then you are going to ask the question, is there any evidence of this humbling of Nebuchadnezzar outside of the book of Daniel? And the answer is no. Now, that that type of objection works really well with modern people who are accustomed to thinking that everyone in the ancient world uh, recorded history the way we do, <clears throat> with um, recording devices. Every every person anymore is walking around with high quality recording devices on them, audio and video, and we need we just don't understand how utterly rare that is. And the younger generation doesn't even know what the world could possibly have been like without that as a, as an aspect of things. And so uh, the vast majority of ancient history was not recorded by eyewitnesses, did not have video or audio recordings or anything like that. And so there's all sorts of stuff you'd find in Pliny and Tacitus and, tonius and the Greek historians that the only the only reference we have to that event happening is in them um, and the same thing with the Bible and then what happens is you know more archaeology takes place and oh hey look this is this is this must be what that person was talking about and it ends up getting verified anyway um, so there is no external evidence of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling. And for a lot of people, that's enough to cause them to be troubled because the way it's presented is they're assuming that there should be when in reality, if they understand history, they they should assume that there isn't and there wouldn't be. And that it would be shocking if there was for two reasons. Um, The first reason is just simply, as I mentioned earlier, we're talking about ancient history. And having extensive multiple sourced, the, the only, the only place you'll get multiple sourced data in ancient history is on dates. So you'll find these Stella and they've inscribed things on these Stella and, you know, ar- an archeological dig will take place. And here's, they find a Stella that's been buried for thousands of years. You dig it up, you you find a way to translate it, and lo and behold, you have a a mechanism, a means of verifying um, written documents that were transmitted much later. Uh, So you can do a lot of dates. There's a fascinating book called, well, fascinating, it's a very relative term. um, The Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings, I think is what it's called. My reason i know about that was because you you sort of have to study that one to deal with jehovah's witnesses there and they're now passing from the scene 1914 prophecy but anyway um so the, so the first reason is you wouldn't expect to have multiple uh sources attesting something like that but here's here's the real obvious one to me that again people just don't think about <laughs> and that is if the leader of your uh, empire um, started crawling around in the backyard eating grass, um, is that something you would tell the world about? Now we're, we're sort of in a similar situation, <laughs> um, but a very different type of context than they were in the ancient world. I mean, that would invite your enemies to come down on you in a second which is what we're doing in the United States, actually. Our leader's pretty much at the same level. Um, And, but in in the ancient world, that was the clearest sign of of weakness. And so it it wouldn't make sense that if it did happen, that it would be talked about, that it would be uh, recorded. Um because of the devastation it could possibly cause to the Babylonian Empire at that time. So, when you hear arguments like that, you need need to get enough background to go, that's not really a a strong argument. But beyond that, um, if Nebuchadnezzar ends up... See, we can't tell from this text... If Nebuchadnezzar ends up as a worshipper of the one true God. Let's read it so we know what we're talking about. I'm, I guess I'm assuming everyone knows what I'm referring to. Daniel 4:34 but at the end of those days this is after his sanity has been taken from him. He's been his fingernails have grown out and out eaten grass and so on and so forth. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes toward heaven, and my knowledge returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can strike against his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, by the way, that's all in poetic from halfway through verse 34 through verse 35 is in poetry. At that time, my knowledge returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom and my high officials and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my kingdom and extraordinary greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Um, so much there, but again, if you go by a commentary, um, that's a little bit weird. I just go over at Twitter and there I am Talking. Um, anyway, um, if you go buy a commentary on Amazon or if you actually find a, I actually ran into a, where was I? St. Louis. I had to go to a uh, Apple store and, um, it was in a, it was in a shopping mall. They still have shopping malls some places. It was, uh, interesting though. You can tell they're struggling. um, but if you find a, a a bookstore someplace and you buy a commentary on Isaiah or uh, Daniel, I'm sorry, or Isaiah, either one, um, they're going to, there's a, there's a 99% chance that it's going to be coming from a naturalistic perspective. And so they're going to look at something like this and go, this is clearly, um, Jewish midrash. It's, um, it's Jewish, uh, it, it's, it's. It's wishful thinking expressed in the book of Daniel. That's that's what they're what they're gonna tell you. You know, before it disappears, I should repost it. There you go. Maybe feel for other people tune in. Um it's wishful thinking. Nebuchadnezzar never said anything like this. The reason being they, they don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe that God could Um, break into a great world leader's life in such a fashion Um, maintain his kingdom while he's um, non-functional and then bring him back to rationality and in so doing derive from him this confession of faith of monotheism so it's real simple if if you don't believe that god does stuff like that then this is just jewish polemic and nothing more um but i think even when you read it um you you would think that someone could say if someone says now I Nebuchadnezzar praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all His works are true and His ways just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Didn't he die as a worshipper of Yahweh? I, I I could wish that that were the case. I do wish that would be the case. I I think it would be awesome to encounter Nebuchadnezzar in heaven someday, um, as one who has, who was by God's Sovereign grace brought out of the idolatry of his ancestral religions. But even if this is just simply the recognition on his part of his own hubris and God having humbled him, what he professes and confesses is truly amazing. Because it is a much higher profession than most professing Christians have. And this from a pagan king or maybe newly converted pagan king. I suppose we could go there if we want to. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is one of the most powerful men in the world but he recognizes that his dominion is not an everlasting dominion. He thought it was, and it was taken away from him. Um, but he is eternal. His kingdom endures for generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That's the line that bothers everyone. That's the line that makes um, this text problematic for all of those who honestly believe that the central functional determiner of what takes place in time is not God, but it's man. God can uh, God can fiddle with the big stuff. Um, he can keep asteroids from slamming into the planet and wiping everybody out. Um, he can do the the natural world stuff, the flood stuff, the earthquake stuff, the volcano stuff. but when it comes to individual salvation um no. now the problem is Yahweh plainly violated Nebuchadnezzar's free will in Daniel chapter 4. um you know, what he had done with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't exactly been naturalistic either. But all the inhabitants of the earth are account as nothing. Not as the matrix in which God's very accomplishment is going to be determined. But he does according to his will. He does according to his will, not man's will, not what man's will allows him. He does according to his will, where? Well, in the host of heaven. And if it stopped there, a lot of folks will say, okay, good enough. We'll let you do what you want up there, and we'll do what we want down here. But as you know, just as in Psalm 135, 6 and other places, that that option is not given to us. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. You know, it's interesting. The ancient readers of this would not have thought of our polemical and controversial context in reading these words, what, what I just said about in the host of heaven among the inhabitants of earth, in their world, the much more amazing statement of power on God's part would be in the host of heaven. Because for most of these people, what what mankind experienced was the result of these cosmic forces battling things out and just using men as pawns. And so for them saying that he does according to his will in the host of heaven would have been the greatest statement of power, but it also would have been and is a vitally important statement of stability. And, and we, we, we struggle here because ancient cosmology, ancient religions. I know that <clears throat> when you when you delve into Canaanite religion, Babylonian religion, Assyrian religion, they all share a, a great deal with each other and instability. Unpredictability, um, you know, fate. When people, when, when there's there's this, there's a couple of just completely deranged people on Twitter. Well, actually, there's more than one completely deranged person on Twitter. Just didn't come out quite right. Um, but these, you know, Calvinism is a lie, and 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 these weird, deranged people on Twitter. Um, you know, the guy could call, talks about the Calvin God and and, and things like that. They they just cannot begin to conceive of how important it is that there is a God who is ordering His universe. They just see this as some type of terrible, horrible, um, you know, North Korea thing. Um, when the reality is that in the ancient world. Those ancient religions of men, there was no predictability. You didn't know what the gods were going to do. They could change. You know, one of them, like I said, one of those guys was saying that uh, uh, according to Calvinism, uh, uh, salvation is completely a fate. You obviously don't know a th- thing about the, the fates or what fate means, fate's impersonal fate's random there's no stability there's no purpose there's no personality um and so it, it's just it's not even close to what a reformed person would actually believe or any christian should ever believe <clears throat> because what he does he does according to his will and his will stabilizes and unifies what happens in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth Many of these religions had warfare amongst the gods in heaven that resulted in warfare on earth. This is a completely different understanding of the world. And we might think today, oh, people have always believed that. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. There is a polemic here. There, there is an apologetic in these words when you allow them to say what they need to say. <laughs> he does, according to his will, in the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of earth. Not just with one or two, not just with the big boys like Nebuchadnezzar. There was a lot that had to happen to put Nebuchadnezzar where he was, to keep him in power during his period of insanity, to restore his glory and dominion to him. A lot of lesser people had to be a part of this decree of God. So it then says, and no one can strike against his hand or say to him, what have you done? And yet this is the essence of human-based religion is to strike against his hand. Say to him, what have you done? Um, a lot of you know that, um, Back in uh, September, we adopted a little kitten that was found at my son's work. We've named him Dini. and he's growing and growing, and and he's he's a happy, happy, happy cat. And uh, then we then we adopted a uh, little tortie female. She has tortitude too, <laughs> um, from PetSmart, and she loves me, and she's starting to love my wife too, which is really nice. And she's just a sweet little thing, but boy, she's in charge. But she doesn't jump up on my computer. She came close earlier today, but she didn't get up there. But Deanie does. And I have to, I have to, I'm constantly having to put the lid down and it goes to the two monitors and I can still function that way because he simply has to, um, get on that computer and I'll be sitting there and I'll be trying to type. And he'll start reaching over for that keyboard, and I've got to, I've got, i got to move him out of the way. Uh, he's already done some really interesting things. He's shut the system down. He's done all sorts of man. It's amazing what a cat can do. <clears throat> but I'm having to, and I can. I'm, I'm a lot bigger than him. So I can, I can strike against his paw. I can move him out of the way fairly easily. No one can do that with God. No one can strike against His hand. No one can say, no, you're not going to do that to me. No, you're not going to put me in that situation. It's not possible. No one can say to him, what have you done? Though we do say, what have you done? Over and over and over again. But to no avail. And when his knowledge is returned to him, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven. That's when you have true knowledge. Knowledge from on high. When you are functioning as the creature of God you have been made to function as, you're going to praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven. And he does. And he comes to understand, for all his works are true and his ways just. <clears throat> now, Nebuchadnezzar does not have knowledge of all of his ways and all of his works but he knows that the king of heaven must act in such a way not to some external standard but consistently with himself all his works are true his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride and i just it, it constantly amazes me that professing believers will not listen to these words. They will not hear what these words are saying. They rebel against these words. So, oh, the date's not on this. I'm not sure why it happens. Oh wait, I can sort of see it. Oh, there it is. My birthday. Uh, This past Sunday. There you go. Why are they making the fonts so much smaller every year? I don't understand. Soteriology 101 tweeted this. Do you believe God would ever create a man without eyes and then punish him mercilessly for not seeing? If not, why not? maybe because the man born blind has no control over his physical inability and therefore it would be unjust for God to punish him for not seeing how is the supposed innate moral inability on Calvinism meaningfully different given the fallen man has no more or less control over his condition than does the man born without eyes they are equally incapable but just for different reasons what makes one acceptable in your mind and the other not (coughs) someone texted me yesterday. I won't mention you right now. Um, though I'm sure you wouldn't care if I did. Um, and let me know that Layton was live, uh, talking about logical coherence and, um, I guess evidently touting his own scholarship in the field. And then he said, Oh, like Clockwork, here comes original sin. And it's, Real obvious that um, Leighton is not orthodox on that subject um, as to what it means or where it comes from. I I don't believe the provisionists really can accept Romans 5 and give a meaningful interpretation of it. We've we've gone over this in years past. Um a fellow from New Orleans, his name's escaping me at the moment, had I don't know, put out a was it a full book? Booklet. Um, on the subject, and so we took the time to walk through it. But there is just such a visceral rejection of the idea of representative headship amongst the provisionists. So Adam cannot represent us. Uh, that's not fair. You can hear in this uh, that's that's creating a man without eyes even though the first man had eyes. Um, and of course, look at seeing and blindness in the Gospel of John, and it's it's all over the place. <clears throat> but um, the idea of federal headship, that there can be someone who represents others so that his actions become that which... By his representation, those he represents are culpable for his actions. Um, that is rejected fundamentally, and you, you need to know what the cost of that is. Uh, on the one hand, you're going to get people who are going to go, "Oh, I like that. I don't. I've never did like that idea of my being held accountable for what somebody else did for me." And and uh, yeah, I I like that. That's that's good. Yay, Soteriology 101. Um every denomination that has lost that understanding has eventually abandoned any kind of supernatural gospel because if Adam can't represent you in the first humanity then Jesus can't represent you in the second so the sons obedience, the son's accomplishment, as my representative head in the new humanity, as the second Adam, that's my whole basis of peace before God. And so what has happened historically, what has happened historically is that when original sin and federal headship has been abandoned, by denomination, always as a result of a fundamental collapse in a view of Scripture as a consistent inspired whole. Eventually, penal substitutionary atonement goes with it. It has to. How can Christ be my representative so that in him I have eternal life, in him I have righteousness, if the, the parallel to Adam has been broken? It's unfair to hold me accountable for what Adam did. Well, then it's unfair to hold you accountable for what Jesus did in your place. Right? It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Federal headship is why we who are in Christ have what only Christ can offer to us. And that is eternal life his righteousness peace with god so if you reject the idea of federal headship on the one hand you can't then turn around and say but you know I'd like it on the other that that doesn't work and so this is at the at the very heart of this uh, attempt to turn rebel man in love with his sin in love with his rebellion, the the, the man described in Romans 1, into the poor, helpless, innocent victim um, who's born blind. And then the big, mean, Calvi God punishes him for being blind. There are fundamental biblical revelations that have to be minimally modified, if not just directly denied uh, to end up with that kind of argumentation. And that's exactly what you get uh, when you listen to what's coming out of Soteriology 101. And it, it seems to me that it's getting more strident with the passing of time. I suppose I could be wrong. I don't listen to him. I, people send me stuff all the time. People quote stuff, and that's that's what I'm looking at. So maybe it's just been as strident all along. I, I don't know. Uh, but it certainly seems to be that way, um, as as I'm seeing it. I was going to go to Jeremiah chapter 19. We might do that um, at some point because I wanted to. I wanted to look at. Um, a straw man misrepresentation from Layton on, on Jeremiah 19 and walk through that text as well. Cause it's, it's one of the standard open theist texts. So it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that he's playing with it. Um, cause I just, <clears throat> I just think someday, someday that's, that's going to happen. Uh, we're, we're going to see it. The Consistency will finally follow through, but, we will um, we will see. So I would like to wish you and yours, uh, if you celebrate, um, a beautiful Christmas holiday um, on Sunday, the Lord's Day. I'm sure many people will be uh, focusing upon the tremendous act of condescension found in, well, really, Philippians chapter 2. Not, not just Luke chapter 2, but Philippians chapter 2. And I hope you have a tremendous time with uh, with your family. If if you if they're far away, um, if you're alone, I I hope that you have a, a good fellowship to be a part of. And even if you're separated, even from there, due to many circumstances, I pray that the Spirit will be your comforter um, and your peace uh, at this time as well. So thank you for watching the program today. We'll see you after the Christmas holiday. God bless. Yeah. <laughs>